At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day. Morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Pastor Kirk, and I have the privilege of being the teaching pastor here at Gospel Community Church. And uh, if this is your first time, if you're a first-time guest, I just want to say welcome. Uh, we are so glad that you're here uh, and want to let you know that uh, we have been specifically praying for you. Um, about 20 weeks ago, we began a study uh, through 1 Samuel. So uh, this is week 20 or so, uh, as, as we have just chapter by chapter, line by line, verse by verse, gone through uh, this great book of uh, 1 Samuel, and we find ourselves uh, in one of the most familiar stories in all of the Old Testament, this this story about a shepherd boy who takes on uh, a giant and and wins and and defeats him. Uh, And and we all uh, know this story very, very well. Just, Just by a show of hands, who heard this story when they were in Sunday school? In church, okay, so vast majority of us heard, heard this story when we were in Sunday school. Even for people who are non-Christians, they, they know this story. Um, I've, I've told this story to my daughters on multiple occasions. Uh, as a matter of fact, sometimes as we tell the story at the end of the telling of the story, they'll say, Daddy, can we play the game? Can we play the game? And so we'll tell the story, and then we'll pick somebody to play Goliath, and somebody else plays David, and so we, we pull the mattress out in the middle of the floor, and whoever Goliath is will stand on the mattress, and whoever David is will stand back with the sling, and they'll go, shoo, 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 and you, like the, you have to be Goliath, and when the stone hits you, you have to go, ah, and like fall, and the mattress is so you can fall over dead, right? We know this story. We know this story. But here's the question. Do we know what this story is about? This is the question that we endeavored to answer last week, and it's the same question that we must come back to because oftentimes we are so familiar with it that we don't actually know what it means. We don't know what the story is really about. I mean, is this story about the little guy who takes out the big guy? Is this the ultimate underdog tale? Is this a story about defeating the giants in your life? Is this a story about how to be fearless? Is this a story about individualism and standing alone and facing your fears? That's often how the story is told, how to defeat your giants. It's often told that what you need is to be like David, and what you need is your five smooth stones, and those stones are worship and Bible reading and prayer and so on and so forth. The only problem with that type of sermon or that type of teaching is like David only used one stone and 
So what do you do with the other? So, so what is this story? What is this story really about? Well, I submit to you that this is not ultimately a story about defeating giants. The key to understanding this story comes over a thousand years later. The key to understanding this story is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That is the key to understanding the story about this little shepherd boy who defeats the giant. Just listen to Luke 24, 25 through 27. And he said to them, oh, foolish ones, oh, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Here's what's happening in, in Luke at this point. Jesus has come back to life after being crucified. He is walking with his disciples on the road to Emmaus. And here is what he says to them. Jesus says to them, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer and these things to enter into his glory? Listen to this. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets. Okay, here's a hint. Samuel is a prophet. (laughs) Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning who? himself. So after Jesus' resurrection, he's walking with the disciples and he starts in Genesis and goes all the way through the Old Testament, explaining to the disciples how all of the Old Testament is about him. (laughs) Who would have liked to have been at that Bible study, right? Sign me up for that one. So at, at, at some point on the road to Emmaus, after his resurrection, as he's walking with his disciples, Jesus gets to the point in, in the Bible where he says, and so you guys remember King David and the little shepherd boy, right? You remember the, the giant that he faced. Let me, let me explain to you about how that is truly and fully and completely about the Christ, So what is this story about? What is the heartbeat of this story? What is the story of David and Goliath about? Simply, plainly, clearly, this story is about Jesus. It's not about try harder, do better, be fearless, be like David. That's not the message of this story. The message of this story is not be like David, but it's that we need a king like David. You see, you can't tell your kids to be like David. You want to know why? If you keep reading David's story, uh, he does some really stupid things. He has a man killed. He steals another man's wife. You can't tell your kids to be like David. The truth is we need a king like David, but we need a king that's better than David. We need a king that's greater than David, and that is King Jesus. You see, Jesus Christ has come and he has lived the life that we should have lived. And he's died the death that we should have died in our place for our sins so that by faith in him, we might be delivered. This is a story about God delivering his people, not about a fearless shepherd boy. And so Jesus is the greater king that comes. You see, listen to this. On behalf of the nation, David goes into the valley of Elah. We're going to see him step down in the valley, and he is a representation or the the representative for all the rest of Israel. Remember? Remember what happens if he loses? If he loses, then the whole nation has to serve the Philistines. What does that mean? It means that he is the representative. Just as Christ goes to the cross as our representative and takes on our sin onto himself. You see, David, using his enemy's weapon... 
What, what does David do after he hits him in the head with a rock? He goes and he gets his sword. He takes Goliath's sword and kills him with it. So <clears throat> David using the enemy's weapon defeats the diet, and Jesus using the enemy's weapon of death conquers death. Jesus is the greater David. Jesus is the king that our heart longs for. He is the the one that our hearts are calling out for. You see, the victory that is secured by David becomes the victory of the nation. And Jesus' triumph over death in his resurrection becomes the triumph over death for us all. This this is the good news. That the story is not about do better, try harder. The story is we have a king who's already won the victory. And so now it's about us living in the victory of the greater king. That is what the Christian life is. The Christian life is not about winning your own victories and being a better person and going out there and getting it done. It's about living in the victory that Christ has already secured. So today we will see a shepherd boy go down into a valley. And so open your eyes to see Christ, the Christ who delivered by going to the cross. As we see the shepherd boy securing the victory, see the victory that Jesus has secured on the cross. And this is, this is my hope today. This is what I want for you. This is what I've been praying for you all week long. I've been praying this. Oh, that we would live in the victory of Jesus. Live in his, in his victory. Jesus comes to save us from our sins, not save us in our sins. This is the victory that Jesus wins for us. It it is a victory where he sets us free from our sins. Chelsea and I, uh, my wife and I, we we do a lot of of counseling for people uh, here at the church. And time after time, we're, we're sitting across the couch from someone who is trapped, trapped by sin, because it is so incredibly powerful. And the truth of the matter is, what we're trying to do in that counseling as we're working with them is we're trying to get them to live in the victory of Jesus. Because by living in that victory, they're set free from sin. This is what Jesus comes to do, to set us free from sin. And so here's what I mean. To live in the victory of Christ means through the power of the gospel, we are overcoming sin, discovering more and more joy, and giving God glory. That's what it means to live in the victory of Christ. You see, this idea of the victorious Christian life was kind of hijacked. And and we took this idea of living the victorious Christian life to mean you're always going to be healthy. You're always going to be wealthy. You're always going to be happy. You're never going to be sick. And that's not the reality of what it means to live in the victory of Christ. The victory that Christ has secured for us is victory over sin. The sin that crushes, the sin that destroys, the sin that corrodes, the, the sin that puts a wedge in your home. Jesus came to set us free from that. So I say again, to live in the victory of Christ means through the power of the gospel, we are overcoming sin, discovering more and more joy because as we push out sin from our lives, what happens? We become more joyful in Christ. We overcome sin, we get more and more joy, and the result is what? God gets glory. God gets 
glory. And so, church family, I want this for you so badly, for you to live in the victory of Christ. And so I'm speaking to you this morning who feel trapped. I'm speaking to you this morning who feel trapped by bitterness. I'm speaking to you this morning who feel trapped by pornography. I'm speaking to you this morning who who feel trapped by lust and all of its worldly allurements. I'm I'm speaking to you who feel trapped by drugs and alcohol. I'm speaking to, to, to those who feel trapped because Jesus has won victory and that victory is deliverance. And so we're going to see a God who delivers today, a God who secures and wins the victory. So let us dive back into the text. We worked our way through the first half of the chapter, and so let us hasten on to see how the story concludes. Verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took the lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Uh, Verse 31 begins with, When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. What what words had David spoke? Well, if you don't remember from last week, the word, what David was saying is, who is this guy? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who thinks he can mock God? He can't mock, I mean, are you kidding me? And so what he was saying essentially gets back to Saul, and so Saul brings him in, right? This, this lets you know how desperate of a situation they were in. <laughs> like, it does, like there's, you got one guy, one little shepherd boy willing to talk trash, fine, well, bring him in. Bring him in. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to him. I'll, I'll see him. What David does when he enters into this room is essentially break all royal protocol. The king is supposed to speak first. The king is supposed to address him, uh, you know, say say something kingly, but that's not what happens at all. He, He shows up and look at verse 32. And David said to Saul, listen to what he says. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. You guys, it made me think of this this week. You guys remember Scooby Doo? You guys, watch, raise your hand if you watch Scooby-Doo, right? Okay, now you've seen, you seen the, the other little character that showed up, Scrappy-Doo, <laughs> Scrappy-Doo, you remember Scrappy-Doo? Scrappy-Doo, let me at him, let me at you know? Scra- like, when, when I, that's the picture that I got in my mind as David enters into, you know, King Saul's chamber, his little Scrappy-Doo, you know, let me at him, let me at him. And he begins with the, this word that, it, it's almost... If you were sitting there, it would, it would look, sound, and feel preposterous. The little tiny shepherd boy enters into the king's chamber, 
Okay, now this is an accomplished warrior king. Do you guys remember he, he has led his troops into battle. He has fought and bled. And this is an accomplished warrior. Saul is. He's the tallest dude. Apparently he's got some awesome armor. We're going to talk about that in a minute. The little tiny shepherd boy enters in and says, hey, everyone, don't be afraid. I'm here. <laughs> the, the scene is, is almost silly. That, that this little boy enters in and, and proclaims to everyone, let no man's heart fail. It's okay, everyone. I'm here. I'm here. It, it's preposterous what he says and what he proposes. His proposal is, I will go and fight him. I, I'll, I'll go do it. It's preposterous unless this is God's chosen and anointed king, which David is. It is, it is silly, it is preposterous that this little tiny shepherd boy could take on a warrior like Goliath and win. It, it is an unlikely, impossible circumstance unless David is God's chosen king, which he is. In the same way, it is preposterous that we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, it, it looks and sounds so ridiculous. I mean, again, I want you to understand, and I know that you know this, whether you want to admit it or not, pride is powerful. Is pride powerful in your life? It's powerful in mine. Addictions are powerful. Pornography is powerful. Listen to this. Comfort and wealth, that's very powerful. It's very, very powerful. Those things that I've just listed have driven so many people to do things they never thought they would do. And so our solution, what we're saying as Christians is, our solution to defeat those foes is the substitutionary death of a first century, first century Galilean peasant. How, how am I going to overcome pride? How am I going to overcome these, these crushing addictions? The substitutionary death of Jesus Christ happened 2,000 years ago. It sounds preposterous, unless, unless Jesus is the chosen king. And if he's the chosen king, then it makes total sense. It's not preposterous at all, because there is power in God's chosen ones. Amen? There's power in God's chosen ones. Now, after uh, his initial assertion, right? Don't be afraid. I will go and fight this Philistine, verse 33. And Saul said to David... You are not able to go against this Philistine to go fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. You're, you're, not, you're not able. Do you guys remember what chapter six, the, the previous chapter was all about? The, the previous chapter was all about how man looks at what? You remember? Outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Here we see Saul doing this exact same thing. Why does Saul tell David that he can't do it? Because he doesn't look like he can do it. He's seeing as man sees and not seeing as God sees. And, and it's amazing that this little boy is not deterred. As a matter of fact, this is the second person to reign on his God-given parade. His older brother has already told him that he's there, you know, just to see the battle and that, you know, he's being silly. You know, get out of here, little boy. You don't know what his older brother has already tried to discourage him from the mission that God has sent him on. Then he goes in and he meets with his king 
And the king says, no, no, you can't do it. This is like person after person after person that's telling David that he simply can't do it. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Don't listen to people who tell you that you can't do what God has called you to do. I mean, what if David would have listened to his older brother? What if David would have listened to the king at this point? The king says, nope, you can't do it. You're a little boy. This guy's a big, giant warrior. Uh, You're right. Sadly, a lot of encouragement, a lot of discouragement to go and do what God has called us to do comes from within the church. Here, these are his own countrymen, his own king that are saying, no, 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 you, you can't do this. But church family, I'm telling you, if God has called you to do something, don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. If God has called you, then he's going to equip you to take that step forward and accomplish what he's calling you to accomplish. Seven years ago, when we set out to plant this church, I'm telling you right now, not everybody was optimistic. (laughs) You're going to go do what? (laughs) Okay, good luck with that. And there's story after story that I've heard from from you guys about your coworkers or your friends and and your family telling you that, no, no, you, you can't be a godly husband. You can't be a godly father. You can't be a godly mother. You can't go start this ministry. You, you can't go do this thing for God. And, and people have said, no, I'm, I'm not going to let somebody tell me that, that I can't do what God has clearly called me to do. Now, with that said, let me, let me put this big disclaimer on this principle. Here's my disclaimer on this principle. Be careful about what you say God is calling you to do. Be very careful about what God, what, what you're saying God is calling you to do, okay? God's probably not calling you to start a Netflix and chill ministry, okay? <laughs> that's, that's, God's probably, okay, uh, like the, the Mai Tais on the beach ministry, probably, that's probably not from the Spirit, okay? Be, we need to be very careful about what we say God is calling us to, but when that clarity and that certainty comes, we need to run after that thing like nobody's business. We need to get after what, is God, what God has called us to do. And so church family, this is why when it comes to what, what has God called me to do, this is why you need two things. One, you need God's word. Because God's not going to call you to do anything that's contrary to his word. Secondly, you need confirmation from Christian brothers and sisters. You need a local church. Okay. Um, that, that, those are your safeguards. So here, David is confident in what God has called him to do, despite the discouragements from his older brother and, and from his king. So now, again, what is so crazy is that the king has spoken. No, no, you can't do this. The king has said that. So the conversation should be over, right? The, the guards should come in and drag the little boy away, kicking and screaming. Well, that's not what happens at all. He, he launches into this story. And, and I want us to notice what he doesn't say. What he doesn't say actually reveals his true heart. David doesn't go in and say, uh, King, I'll go fight. The, you know, nope, let no one's heart fail. I'll go fight him. So how much is that sum of money? Hey, is your daughter, is, your, is she around? I'd kind of like to see her before we get married. That's not what he says at all. Listen, listen to what he says. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep 
his father's sheep. I, I went after him and I struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down lions and bears. Now, if, if it was like lions, tigers, and bears, we'd say, he killed lions and bears. Okay, some of you guys know me, and, and you know that I have an affinity for animals, okay? Dogs, goats, chickens, horses, I'm into it. I love animals. I'm telling you right now, if a lion or a bear came and got one, I say, he gone. <laughs> mm, hats off to you, bro. See ya. Like, do, does any of us even know somebody who's killed a lion or a bear? Like, we might know somebody who went on a safari or like one of those hunts or whatever, but they killed him from a long way away with a rifle, not like with a stick and a knife. Like, this is, this, I mean, this, this young boy is rowdy, okay? I want to ask, though, what is, what is he saying? Your servant, uh, verse 36, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. What's, what's he saying? Is, is he saying here, I have a past track record of opening up a can. I did it once. I did it once, I can, I can do it again. Is he saying, I have battle credentials? Is he saying, let me read to you my list of accomplishments. Impressive, right? No, no, no. That's, that's not what he's saying at all. The reason I'm going to go kill him is not because I am some type of Green Beret, Navy SEAL, Special Forces guy. It's because I serve God and God is a God who delivers. Let me look, look back at it. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, comma, for, here's the reason, here's the reason that he is going to strike down the Philistine like he has struck down lions and bears, for he has defied, this word defied means mocked, he's, he's for he has mocked the armies of the living God, and David said, the Lord, the, the Lord who delivered me, the Lord who set me free, the Lord who got me out of my trap. Again, I'm speaking to you this morning, you who are trapped. The Lord who got me out of my trap before is going to get me out of my trap now. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hands of the Philistine. He is using a logical and a rational argument to explain why he is going to kill the giant. While the situation doesn't look rational at all. Tiny boy versus giant. This, is, this doesn't make any sense. We need our biggest and baddest and best warrior. Who is that? That's actually King Saul. But he's not doing much. That, would, that, that situation would make more sense. It would be more logical and rational. Big giant, big giant. Make, make him fight. This situation looks irrational, but it's actually totally rational. Do you, do you see why? He's using... The rationale of God is a God who delivers and has delivered me in the past. God is unchanging. Therefore, he will deliver me now. Because God is a God who has a history of delivering. Not just me, but the entire nation. There's no reason to believe that he won't continue to do that now. That This is what David is saying, if you're taking notes, God's past faithfulness in our lives gives us faith for the future. God's past faithfulness in our lives is what we draw off of to have faith for the future. Tomorrow morning when I get up, 
You know what it's going to be really hard to do? Continue to follow Jesus in faith. I'm, I, Pastor Kirk, conf- confessions of Pastor Kirk right here Sunday morning just for you. It is going to be difficult for me to believe the promises of Jesus tomorrow morning. It is going to be difficult for me to get out of bed, put my feet on the ground, and walk throughout my day knowing that God loves me, that God has saved me, that God has a plan for me, and that everything that happens in my life is for a reason. It's going to be hard for me to believe that. So how in the world am I going to be able to believe that? It is not by mustering up more faith. Go ahead and try that. Anybody tried that one? How'd it work for you? Here's how you do it. It is by meditating on or focusing on the past victories that God has won in your life. It's by focusing on the past deliveries or the deliverances that God has delivered you from in your life. I mean, how many scrapes has the Lord gotten you out of? Look, the Lord has gotten your tail out of more messes that you even knew you were in. And that's exactly what David is drawing. It's like, how does this little boy go and face this giant? Where does he get the faith? Well, by thinking about the faithfulness of God. That's that's exactly how he does it. And it's not just our personal experience that shows us that God is faithful to deliver. It's not just our personal experiences that show us that God is a God who gets us out of our traps, often the traps that we have set for ourselves. But we have thousands of years of recorded history of God delivering people out of their traps. Church family, I'm here to tell you, I have, I have set out on numerous occasions to destroy my own life. I, I have set plans to make a mess of my life, intentionally so. And God has been faithful to deliver me out of even my own traps time and time and time again. How in, how in the world am I here? <laughs> it's, it's because God has delivered. If you're here this morning loving Jesus, trying to serve and follow Jesus, how did you get here? <laughs> you got here because God has delivered you time and time and time again. And there's no reason, there's no rational, logical reason to believe that God is done delivering you. If you're taking notes, God's history of faithfulness recorded in the Bible fuels our faith for tomorrow. It is the record of God's works in the Bible. We have historical record of God saving time and time and time again. God saving from the Egyptians, God saving from the Amalekites, God saving from the Philistines, from the Hittites, from, I mean, the list goes on and on and on from God saving his people all the way up until the time of Jesus Christ when the ultimate salvation happens for his people. God is a God who delivers. If you are trapped this morning, hear me. God is a God who delivers. He delivers, he delivers, he delivers. Now, I don't know what giant you're facing this morning, but I do know the key to your victory. It's not trying harder or doing better or to be like David. That, that's, that's the wrong message. You want to defeat your giants? Defeat the giants in your life by being like David. No. The key to your victory is that you have a God who delivers. You have a God who has already won the ultimate victory, so live in that victory. Live in the victory of Jesus Christ. Moving on, verse 38. 
Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for, uh, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Here what we see is kind of curious. I mean, I know we've told this story and we know this story, but have you ever asked the question, why does Saul try to get David to wear his armor? Well, we know Saul, you know, he's not a very good guy. So we can kind of make a guess at uh, maybe some, you know, evil intentions here. If, if the army is way up here on this mountain and they're looking down, it would have been hard to kind of really see how tall a guy was. So if David is in Saul's armor, maybe they would have thought it was Saul down there. Or maybe um, if, Saul, if, if David is wearing Saul's armor and he wins, Saul would get to say, well, you know he was wearing my armor. Now, whatever his intentions, whatever the reason, what we can be sure is that Saul was relying on man's provision to get David through the battle. Man's provision. What does Goliath have? I mean, we, we saw this vivid description of, of the coat of mail and the helmet and the sword that Goliath have. That Goliath has. And that's exactly what Saul is trying to give to David. You need a helmet? He's got a helmet. If you're going to win this battle, you got to have a coat of mail. If you're going to win this battle, you, you have to have a sword. Saul here is relying on, on man's provision. You need man's weapons to win the battle. I think this right here is the greatest test for David. This is the greatest test for David. He, he is sure of God's call on his life. He is sure that he needs to go and fight this giant. And so now this, this ever important detail, the question looming, is he going to take Saul's armor and go after God's mission man's way? Or is he going to go after God's mission God's way? By God's grace, David says, I, I cannot... I, Imagine the tallest soldier in all Israel put his tailored armor onto this tiny boy. Can you see it? Helmet. He can barely see. You know, it's like keeps coming over his eyes. He's trying to get the helmet out of his face. The coat of mail weighing him down. The, the sword dragging on the, on the ground as he tries to walk. Can you, can you see it? And he says, this is ridiculous. I, ca I, can't, I can't go... I can't go with these things. It, it, it's not, it's not going to work. As a matter of fact, listen to this. He doesn't even take the sword with him. <laughs> He's going to fight a giant and he doesn't even, like, I can't wear the helmet. The coat of mail is too heavy. But I think I'll take, I mean, wouldn't you at least take the sword? I mean, I, I know people who don't even walk out to the mailbox without being heavily armed, you know? This, I know people. This guy, <laughs> this guy is going to fight a giant and doesn't even take a sword. I mean, this, this, is, this is crazy. This is crazy. Here's what I want you to write down. If the battle is the Lord's, we only need the weapons he has placed in our hands. 
That's all that he needs. What weapons does this little shepherd boy have? What weapons does this little shepherd boy know how to use? He knows how to use a stick, right? The, the, the shepherd's staff, and he knows how to use a sling. That's what he's got. And so that's what he goes with because those are the weapons that God has, has placed in his hands. And so church family, individuals, I'm asking you, what weapons has God placed in your hands? So often I find myself coveting other people's weapons, coveting other people's gifts, coveting other people's abilities. I, man, if I could just do what that guy does, if I could just encourage like that person encourages, if I could just preach like that guy preaches, man, then, then really I'd really be on God's mission. I'd really be it. If God has set you forth in a battle, he has placed the weapons in your hand that you need. Again, the, the key is knowing which battles God has sent you out to fight. I run out and try to fight all kind of battles that God hadn't set me out to fight. <laughs> so have faith in the weapons that God has given you. It's taken 40 verses for us to get to like the centerpiece of the story. You see that? I mean, we're, like, we're 40 verses in, and the last verse that we, verse 40, at the end of it, his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Like, we're, we're, finally, we're finally here. We're finally here. Can you see it in your mind? Picture the giant looming, large, helmet shining, armor shining, muscles rippling, this, this massive giant. See it in your mind. Can you see it? Picture the giant. Can you see the small shepherd boy? With, with a stick and a leather strap in his hand for his sling. And you see it in your mind, verse 41. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. It's like every, every time they describe, every time they describe David, he's always a, he's always a tiny boy. A tiny, cute, handsome, ruddy, red, rosy-cheeked little boy. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. So G Goliath must have thought that this is some kind of joke. You <laughs> For 40 days... He's been going out and taunting them twice a day, 80 times. He's gone out and said, send me your best soldier, send me your best soldier. And, and after the 80th time, this little tiny shepherd boy comes out. He, he disdained him. He, again, he must have thought the whole thing was a joke. Like, really, nation of Israel, this is the best that you can come up with? And then it says that he cursed David by his gods. We know the Philistine, gods, um, the Philistine god is Dagon. Dagon. He cursed him by his gods. And so we can't forget that this is not just a battle of one man against another. This is not just about one nation against another nation, but this is in their minds, a battle of the gods. This is Dagon versus the living God, the host of the armies of Israel. That's who's really at battle. So the response uh, from Goliath is pretty straightforward. He insults him and says he's going to kill him and feed his flesh to the birds. But now listen to David's response. It's strange because it flies in the face of self-reliance. Goliath's response was all about, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds because I'm an amazing warrior. Now listen to 
how David responds. Then David said to the Philistine, you come at me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, and that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and all the assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand." This is the centerpiece of this entire chapter. This is the the, the focal point of seeing what this story is, is really all about. What does Goliath have? He has some weapons, but David has set Goliath's weapons against this God. <laughs> Here's all your weapons. Verse God. That, that's, that's essentially how David has set up this, this battle. Now, David could have said this. You're a big giant with a lot of heavy gear, which means you're slow. I am small and agile, and oh yeah, I have a projectile weapon that is actually giving me the advantage. Are all those things true? A big, slow, lumbering giant with clunky armor and heavy stuff, and here's this little boy who's able to like run and maneuver, and he's got a projectile weapon that... Uh, is obviously superior, but that's not what he says at all. He places his hope not in his ability and not in his weaponry, but he places his hope in the God of hosts. He says, I come in the name of, in the, I'm here in the name, in the name of who? The name of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of ho- hosts. What, what does that mean? The Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosting parties. What No, 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 no. That's not what the Lord of hosts means. It means the host of the heavens or the host of the heavens armies, the host of the armies of angels with flaming swords who just any one of them could crush Goliath like a tiny bug. And this Lord of hosts is the, the leader of army of thousands and myriads and myriads of angels with flaming swords. Okay, that's who he's saying he's with. Like you, you, oh, oh, look at his helmet, everyone. Isn't it cute? He has a cute javelin. That is so nice. It's so nice that he has that. I'm here in the name of the Lord of hosts. That's what, that's what David is saying. In David's mind, he looks at this situation in a radically different way, not in a man-centered way, but in a God-centered way. David says, how can we lose? How can we lose? While everyone else is thinking, how can we win? You see, the nation is thinking the giant is so big, who can defeat him? While David is thinking, I serve the Lord of hosts, and that giant is so big, how can I miss him? It's it's totally radically different perspective that David approaches. I mean, and just, just look at this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down. Listen to this. And cut off your head. Do you remember what piece of armament David doesn't have? (laughs) He is so confident in what the Lord is going to do. He says, I'm going to cut off your head, meaning I'm going to kill you, and then I'm going to come take your sword and cut off your head. It's it's striking. It's shocking to see the power of this victory. 
that that he wins. And look at the very end of it. This is where the rubber really meets the road. He says, uh, the Philistines this day, I'll feed your flesh, the uh, birds of the air and the wild beasts that all the earth may know. This is the, this is the point of the whole thing. Why is he out there fighting? Was it for the money? Was, was it for the, you know, the princess? Was it, was it, no, the reason that he's out there fighting, that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with the sword and with the spear. If he was a big, you know, giant, a big tall guy with, a, with the sword and with the spear, if he would have taken Saul's armor, the victory could have been attributed to the armor. It had to be a little shepherd boy who's weak, who all he has is a stick and a leather strap. It had to be that. Why? So that the whole earth, so that everybody would know. So that thousands of years later, we would be sitting here at Gospel Community Church telling the story of how God wins victories. Here's how God wins victories. He wins victories through weakness, not through strength. He wins victories through nobodies like us. That's how he does it. The Lord saves, not with the sword and with the spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. This is incredible. If you're taking notes, the good news, the good news is that God is not out looking for the best and brightest to achieve his purposes. He's looking for nobodies just like you <laughs> and, and just like me. Verse 48, when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to me, David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. He, <laughs> He's, he's running at this guy. He's running at him. And David puts his hand in his bag and he took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. It's like, it's already said twice in the chapter that he had a, a shield bearer. They, they doubted that little boy so much, even as this little boy is like running as fast as he can towards this giant. He's got his rock and his sling. And he's, they don't even lift up the shield. They don't even lift up the shield. He slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. Who, who was here when we saw the Philistine army capture the ark? Remember that story? They took the ark and they put it in the temple of Dagon. Remember what happened to Dagon? He fell on his face. Remember, remember what this battle is about? This is a battle between Dagon and the god of, of the hosts. Just like Dagon fell on his face and his head fell off, Goliath falls on his face in front of the host of the armies, the Lord of hosts, and his head doesn't fall off. It's hacked off with a sword. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. And there was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine, and he took his sword and he drew it out of his sheath, and he killed him with it and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw the champion was dead, they fled. I, I just want to note that if this thing is ever made into like an adaptation of a film that's anywhere close to reality, we probably wouldn't let our kids watch it, okay? Th this is bloody and gory. And the men of Israel of Judah rose with a shout. They, his victory, David's victory, stirred joy in the hearts of the people. And the victory that he accomplished made the nation arise with a shout 
a proclamation, a joy in the victory that David, that David had won. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistine as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. So the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sha'arim and as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back chasing the Philistines. They plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. This is the victory that is won by this little shepherd boy, by, by God's chosen king. Let me read this last section and then I'll be out of your hair. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistines, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, who's, uh, who is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from striking down the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul, uh, and Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, uh, the Bethlehemite. Now, there is a little bit of uh, confusion about why Saul doesn't know who David is. As a matter of fact, he had been taken into his service and was, uh, you know, a guy who played the liar in, in his court. And so um, either David kind of sat way far off in the back and played, played the liar, um, or this event isn't actually sequential. Um, and so what makes the most sense to me is, is to say that um, what happens in chapter 17 actually comes in the event sequence in the middle of chapter 16. So David kills Goliath, and then after that, he's brought into Saul's service, uh, which makes the most sense. But that being said, I didn't want that to, to confuse anybody. As, as we close down, I want to remind us of what this story is about. And if you're taking notes, I, I, I want you to write these things down so that you will have them and keep them and, and remember them as you meditate on this story, as you personally take this story and digest it, as you tell it to others, as you share it with your children. Here's what we need to know. Number one, as Jesus slayed the giant of sin, death, and the devil, he represented all people and would believe uh, and would that would believe not just one nation as david goes down into the valley of elah he is representing his nation but like i said we need a greater david we we need a greater king a bigger king and so as jesus goes to defeat the greatest of all enemies i wonder if you believe that i wonder if you believe your greatest enemy is sin death and the devil I wonder if you believe that maybe your greatest enemy is your boss or bills or your health. Your greatest enemy is sin, death, and the devil. And Jesus defeats sin, death, and the devil as a representation, not just for one nation, but for all people who would believe. This is why Jesus is the greater David. Number two, Jesus used his enemy's weapon against him and the victory Jesus secured on the cross is forever. Meaning, meaning, Jesus' victory on the cross is irrevocable. The, the battling of the Philistines was only over for that day, but Jesus' decisive victory on the cross is irrevocable. Meaning, if you believe on him, his victory is for you forever. Amen? Yeah. Meaning, can, can a Christian lose his salvation? 
Well, that's the wrong question. The question is, can God lose a Christian? The answer is no. No. The victory was won. If you're a Christian in the room, if you have faith on Jesus, if you have faith in that victory, that victory is decisive. It was for you and it was for forever. It's irrevocable. You're his child, period, paragraph. Thirdly, the shout of victory. David goes down into the valley and cuts off that giant's head. Could you see the nation, him down in the valley, the nation of Israel up on the mountaintop as he grabs that giant's bloody head and holds it up and the nation shouts with joy. The shout of victory on resurrection morning is the shout of victory in the heart of every believer. The shout that happened on that day in the valley and up on the mountain was was a shout that happened that one day at that one time. The nation charges, they rout the Philistines, and they all go home. But this shout of victory, the shout of victory that is in the heart of every believer, that shout began to reverberate all throughout Israel, all throughout Jerusalem. And that shout of victory of the resurrection spread all throughout the Roman Empire as people planted churches and the church grew and the mission of God continued to go forward and the kingdom expanded and people began to share this great gospel message and the shout is still reverberating in the church today and the shout will continue to reverberate it doesn't matter if gospel community church closes its doors tomorrow the shout will continue to reverberate because jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against my church so the church is going to be victorious we don't need to be scared about the numbers people We can look all throughout the United States right now and see that church is in decline, but I am not worried in the least bit. Jesus is going to continue to plant his church. Jesus is going to continue to see people saved. Jesus is going to continue to change people's lives forever. Jesus is going to continue to deliver people out of their traps. Why do you think Christianity has lasted this long? If there was no power in the deliverer, I'm telling you, Christianity would have died out years ago, millennia ago. It would would cease to exist, but because there is a deliverer, because people time and time again have been delivered out of their traps, because Jesus is faithful to rescue time and time and time again, Christianity continues to go forward and it will continue to go forward until the day Jesus, the great victorious king, the great deliverer king returns and the fullness and the finalness of his victory is realized when the kingdom the final kingdom is instituted and he reigns as the greatest king over it forever. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for this text, this story of your victory, your decisive victory. Lord, I pray that the people of Gospel Community Church would live in this victory. You see, We look to you, O God, that the victory that we have in Jesus, my Savior forever, we call upon this great victory that we might walk in it, that we might live in it. Lord, I pray for those in the room right now who feel trapped, trapped by their sin, who feel like there's no way out. Lord, let them be shocked this morning. Let their eyes be opened to see the victory that you have already won. Lord, let the trap this morning know that it's not about them trying harder or doing better, but it's about them resting in your victory. 
Set us free this morning, Lord. Be the God that we know you to be, the God who delivers, the God who slays giants, Lord. And let this shout of your victory reverberate through every heart this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.